one of the pastors approached me and said, hey, uh, no, you just finished up a degree in agriculture. Uh, there's a place in Guatemala that needs an agriculturalist. And mm. I literally was like, uh, okay, where is Guatemala? You know, mm. what part of Africa is that? I mean, really, I had no idea where it was. And, th and they said, no, it's, it's in Central America, South of Mexico. And I was just, I had not done any research. I, I didn't even really know what a missionary was, but my response was, well, Welcome to His Hands, His Feet podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Camp. The purpose of this podcast is to equip and encourage, even compel you to live a life on mission. Now, you may be doing that by getting to know your neighbors and right there in your community, reaching out to those who live around you. Possibly you volunteer for a nonprofit ministry or you are involved with foster care or adoption and caring for vulnerable children locally and around the world. You know, another reason or another way that you can be involved with a missional lifestyle is with foreign missions. And I really enjoy interviewing foreign missionaries for two reasons. One is I really hope that as you hear stories of those that are serving in different countries around the world, that you will connect with some of these and that you will resonate with what they're doing and who they are. And you will want to connect and partner with them and partner with what God's doing through them. The other reason that I enjoy doing these interviews with foreign missionaries is I have seen that the church who sends, whether it's here in, in the United States or from other, some other country, we easily become disconnected from the missionaries that we have sent. And, and so my hope is, is that as you hear uh, stories like Mike McCombs and his family, as they have served in Guatemala for many years, that it will compel you to get connected with either them or other missionaries that you know around the world and continue to support them. You know, as Mike shares in this interview, he believes, and I agree with him, that mission work is a two-way street. It's those who send and it's those who go, and we need to do our part well. And so I'm looking forward to you hearing this interview. You know, Danielle and I met Mike and Terry McComb about 15 years ago when we took a short-term trip to Guatemala. We flew into Guatemala City. They picked us up at the airport. Um, we went to an orphanage and spent the night there. And then the next day after breakfast, we got on a bus um, and drove. And it wasn't uh, your luxury bus. And we drove, I don't know, six, seven, eight hours up into the mountains of Guatemala and served in a small community there called Naba and the Ishio Mayan Indian part of Guatemala. That trip had an incredible impact on our lives, Danielle and I. And Mike shares in the interview also that um, many people that do a trip like that go on to be foreign missionaries, and if not become foreign missionaries themselves, they continue to be involved with foreign missions for the rest of their lives. And that's what has happened with Danielle and I. So I'm mean, um, looking forward to you hearing Mike's story. And uh, so if you want to get the show notes before you hear the, the story with just some summary notes there, go to kennethacamp.com slash episode 24, and you can find the show notes there as you listen to the, the uh, podcast. Mike, uh, thank you for joining me today. I really am looking forward to our conversation and learning more about the work that uh, you and your family have been doing and are doing in Guatemala. So thank you. You bet. Great to be here. Yeah. So for those um, that are listening and just want to get to know you a little bit, let's start off kind of 
uh, general. But, uh, you know, of course, I mentioned Guatemala, but tell us where you're serving uh, and how long you and your family have been there. Okay, well, we are serving among the E-Shield people. It's a Mayan people group in the central highlands of Guatemala. And uh, we've been living here in Guatemala since 1990. So we're um, 27 years uh, wow. into this here. And, um, yeah, that's that's where we're at. Yep, very cool. And so you've, you've basically raised your family then in Guatemala. Yes, actually, um, I've lived here longer uh, than I ever lived in the United States. Uh, so I'm kind of more Guatemalan than I am uh, – uh, anything else probably at this point. And, uh, yeah, three of our children were born here. Um, all four of them were raised here. Our oldest was born in San Antonio, Texas, but when he was about three months old, uh, we brought him down here. And so, um, they were all raised down here in Guatemala. Yeah. You know, I'm sure some were wondering what that's like, and we may come back to that if you're okay. And just talk about, you know, what it was like to raise your family in another country than where you're from, but um, so yeah, we sure yeah we may do that but uh, I was curious how how were you called um, to do the work in Guatemala how did how did you guys know you and your wife's name is Terry and so how did you and Terry know that you were called to Guatemala well you know there were two separate paths we were on we met down here and okay. so um, we were both uh, young single folks uh, that had ended up here in Guatemala from two totally different paths. Um, just mine briefly, um, you know, there's a saying uh, that says some are called and some are sent and some just packed their bags and went. And I was kind of that third <laughs> category. Um, what happened was I had a real radical um, salvation experience in college. You know, I'd been raised in a Christian home uh, and, you know, I'd kind of done the church thing, but uh when I was at Texas Tech University, just had a real uh, radical come to Jesus uh, episode, and um, just my life totally changed. 180 degrees, um, started getting involved in local ministry. I was involved in uh, Trinity Church, which um, still up there on uh, Loop 289, South Loop in Lubbock, Texas, and they really took me in and discipled me, and I was in a program where we were out— um, we used to do street witnessing back in the day, you know, back in the 80s, right. go out on uh, sidewalks and tell people about Jesus, you know, hit them with your 10-pound Bible over the head <laughs> and hope for the best. Um, it, we, we, we were a lot gentler than that, but uh, we were going into uh, nursing homes and juvenile detention centers, even Lubbock County Jail uh, preaching. So it was a pretty radical uh, program. And I was full bore uh, on in that when one day uh, one of the pastors approached me and said, hey, uh, no, you just finished up a degree in agriculture. Uh, there's a place in Guatemala that needs an agriculturalist. And hmm. I literally was like, uh, okay, where is Guatemala? You know, hmm. what part of Africa is that? I mean, really, I had no idea where it was. And, and they said, no, it's it's in Central America, South of Mexico. And I was just, I had not done any research. I, I didn't even really know what a missionary was. But my response was, well, if that's where God needs me, I'll go, hmm. you know. Uh, and so a few months later, after some intensive um, uh, development, uh, tropical agricultural courses I took in Waco at a place called World Hunger Relief, uh, spent some time out at uh, Educational Concerns for Hunger Organization in Tampa, Florida. 
I found myself on a plane uh, in 1990, summer 1990, uh, down to Guatemala. Uh, at that time, Guatemala was uh, enmeshed in uh, the final throes of the Civil War that, mm -hmm. that started in the 50s, and over 200,000 people were killed here, and it was just a disaster. The whole country was just in a state of uh, emergency. There was um, a lot of reconstruction going on from the war. And my wife, now she did it right. I did it wrong, I think, I guess. But she, she had actually known she was going to be a missionary in Central America since she was like 12 years old when mm -hmm. she dedicated her life to the Lord at a revival service in Lake Charles, Florida, or Florida, Louisiana, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, um, so she prepared herself. She studied Spanish. Uh, she took the perspectives course. You know, she did it right. And uh, she ended up down here. And we literally met on the street in Guatemala City one day, just in kind of a freak uh, uh, series of events. And uh, five weeks later, we were engaged. Wow. Uh, yeah, we, we tell our kids they're not allowed to do that. <laughs> um, but uh, it ended up working out really well, and we're going to celebrate 25 years of uh, marriage uh, this October. So anyway, uh, that's a long answer to your real short question. Just, we were, um, coming from two totally different, uh, backgrounds, two different church backgrounds, but, uh, we shared a common purpose and, um, have been doing that ever since. Oh, I love it. That's, that's a perfect response. And what, uh, exactly what I was hoping for. I don't know if you've been doing the same kind of work the whole 20 something years you've been there, but what are you been doing and what are you doing now? Okay. Well, um, it started out as an agricultural development um, outreach first um, here in the slum areas of Guatemala City. We were doing intensive gardening, rooftop gardening. I was working in an orphanage, helping them grow food for about 30 orphan kids. They were there. Uh, they were orphaned from the war. Um, that, that children's home is still in existence. It's called New Life Children's Home. Uh, it's run by New Life Advance International. Kenan Wheeler is the president, great guy. He also has an ag degree from Texas Tech, and uh, he, he ended up having to do the administration of the home, so they recruited me to do that. And I, I did it for a couple of years um, and then was recruited to go up to Neba, which is um, where we ended up staying long term. Neba was the epicenter of the Guatemalan Civil War. Out of the 200,000 people that died in the war, 30,000 were killed in that one town. And uh, it's been, um, you know, called a genocide and a lot of different things. Definitely war crimes uh, took place there. But when Rio arrived, uh, I first went there in 1991. Uh, Terry and I had been up there on separate trips um, doing relief work. And uh, the place was just a... Um, devastation um you know no telephones no paved streets um precarious infrastructure there was a doctor that was uh, had started a small clinic at the time and he wanted me to teach some agricultural techniques because the people uh couldn't farm their land uh, because of danger from the gorilla uh, activity there were a lot of landmines a lot of things around very hazardous and so we started doing some intensive gardening techniques at the uh, nutrition center and that kind of took off um, to a larger scale um, demonstration farm. So uh, we were seconded to um, a group called Missionary Ventures uh, at the time out of Florida, went up into Neba. Terry and I married in 1992. We moved up in 1993, not even a year after we were married in Neba. Mm -hmm. And the war was still going on. I mean, we would still hear machine gun fire occasionally in the mountains and 
mortar shells going off. Uh, there were soldiers on every corner, three military bases in town. But we were um, we were up there, and it was pretty rustic. It was a pretty pretty hardcore uh, place. Uh, we didn't have a refrigerator for five months. Uh, just kind of living off the land, so to speak, and um, doing these agricultural projects. So. Um, Terry was helping out in the clinic and I was out in the field with the, with the Mayans and they, they really taught me more about agriculture than Texas tech did. I, I'm just saying, you know, as far yeah. as, you know, making stuff literally come out of the ground that you can eat, uh, the Mayans have been doing that for thousands of years. Right. And, um, but I, I'd like to think that we worked together. Well, uh, sure, we did, sure. um, uh, fish farming projects. We did uh, chickens. We did rabbits. We did uh, all kinds of uh, experimental crops uh, from wheat to broccoli to cauliflower. A lot of this was being exported. Some was being sold in the local market. Uh, did that for about six years. So that was kind of the door opener um, to a lot of other ministry that took place afterwards. I found out there were several villages that were being reconstructed and they didn't have any churches. So in about 1994, we started on a church planting project uh, that went on for about 10 years, um, and we were able to plant over 20 churches in different villages all over the East Shield area that were being reconstructed. And then uh, that kind of turned into a leadership training program because these new pastors needed uh, some some Bible training, but they didn't have any secular education, so we had to come up with a program to train them. So I kind of morphed into uh, Bible training from agriculture. Um, and that, in turn, uh, kind of came to be a group called ACELSI, which we work with today. That's an acronym for the Equipping the Saints Association. In Spanish, it's called the Asociación Equipando los Santos Internacional. And uh, we now have uh, about 30 extensions for theological training in four countries, uh, in, in Venezuela, in Guatemala, in Mexico, and in the United States. And uh, basically what happened was when we started training those few pastors out in the mountains, uh, myself and a man named John Harvey, who was a missionary I met, he lived in Chichicastenango, Guatemala. We found that it wasn't just our little area of the central highlands of Guatemala, but rural pastors all over Latin America were needing uh, Bible training and, and really desiring it, but there was no curriculum that was written on their level. So mm. came up with a basic level that was written on about a fifth grade uh, elementary school education level. And man, that thing just took off. Mm. Um, we started doing that all over the Mayan areas of Guatemala, into Chiapas, Mexico, down into Ecuador, and then over in Venezuela. And then we found out there was a lot of migrant people up in the United States they were from the rural areas of Guatemala that wanted to study the Bible, but they didn't have anything, you know, to connect with up in the United States. So now among migrant communities in Miami, Florida, South Texas and uh, the Pacific Northwest, we have training centers uh, up in those areas as well. Wow. So tell me again, tell me again, uh, the acronym for that organization. Yeah, it's called a Celsi, A-S-E-L-S-I, and you can find us at uh, www.celsi.org. Um, we have, uh, it's a Guatemalan entity. Mm -hmm. We also have a Celsi USA now 
Um, and we do medical work. We also really um, focus on Bible training, theological education by extension. We have four different levels now, and in 2018, we're going to try to get all of our courses online. So if anybody wants to study anywhere in the world, they can just dive right in. So you've gone from just building some rooftop gardens to feed a, an orphanage to what you just described. That's incredible. Well, it's uh, spread out over 27 years. <laughs> uh, I also, you know, had to get some more education along the way because sure. I, I didn't um, really know what I was doing <laughs> mm. so much in, in the uh, Bible training area. Um, I, when I hit the field, I had like a one-year Bible degree. Again, like I tell you, I kind of did it wrong. You know, I didn't get the seminary degree first. I just followed Jesus, but he had mercy on me. And... Um, Along the way, I was able to get a master's degree in social science uh, through Azusa Pacific University. They had a wonderful program mm. that was taught down here through the Wycliffe Bible Translator Base uh, in uh, Guatemala City, which at that time, in the early 90s, they were finishing up with a lot of New Testament work in the Mayan areas all over uh, Guatemala. So I fell in with a good crowd there. And then... Um, was able to uh, actually work towards a uh, doctor of ministry uh, through Dallas Theological. Um, that was all done down here in Spanish uh, at Sateca, which is the uh, Central American Theological Seminary. And so, you know, because as we moved out in this uh, Bible training thing, man, you uh, you find yourself uh, eyeball deep in alligators before you know it. Uh, people right. want to know uh, who you are, where you're from, what you're doing. Are you a heretic? Uh, yep. You know, what kind of cult group are you with? And so we really needed to – and what we were trying to do is provide these pastors with a real solid biblical education. And I found that uh, Dallas Seminary, boy, if you want to learn the word, man, they're going to throw mm -hmm. you in the Hebrew, and they're going to wring your brain one inside out and out. And, uh, you know, their slogan is uh, teach truth and love well. That's and uh, yeah, they do that. So they have an amazing program here in Spanish. And since I was doing all the teaching in Spanish I, and I wanted to really go deep with that, I, I just dove right in there and uh, it almost killed me. Uh, but I, I managed that. I, I had a close brush with academia. I, I am not a scholar. I'm not an academic. I'm a missionary. I'm a more out in the trenches guy. But uh, that really opened some doors uh, for a lot more expansion, especially down in South America, where uh, everybody's a theologian. Um, and <laughs> you talk about some dangerous waters, brother. You can get into it quick down there. So uh, oh, anyway. Gosh. As you were sharing, especially those, you know, how you uh, first start out, do you think those first six years when you're mainly doing agricultural work with uh, the Mayans, do you think that really laid the foundation for trust for you to start doing church planning and stuff? Or do you think it was just God had already prepared that? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, absolutely a uh, trust factor. You, you, um, you really have to earn the right to be heard. Um, it's uh, There's a term for it called... Um, compassionate pre-evangelism. Um, and that's something that I think people practice all over the world. You know, you go into a people group and first off, the Southern Baptists have done some research on this at the IMB and, you know, they're really experts at it. Um, and, and like I said, I didn't know what I was doing, but, but what they say is you need to plan for a 12 year 
time slot. Mm-hmm. If you're going to go into a people group that's really foreign from you and, and that you don't speak their language, you don't understand their culture, you, to make a deep impact, it's going to take 12 years. So yeah. Um, yeah. we didn't know that going in, uh, but after a while, you know, as this became very apparent. And I'll just share with you just a little snippet of something that happened. Um, when we, we had been there about, we'd been in Nabah about seven years when we bought our first house in, in town. And that was a real, real turning point. I remember a pastor coming over uh, specifically to our house and sitting down with us. He was Ishiel guy and he said now I understand you bought this house and, and we said yes and he said so you're not leaving hmm. and I said no we're planning on staying and he said okay well great he said listen I'm having some real marital problems and uh, I'd like you to try to help me and my wife out well that was the first time in seven years anybody had really opened up at that level and it was because you know, there was a trust factor that had been earned. We were there to stay. We were living right next door. We weren't going anywhere, um, you know, and we had learned enough of the language and culture to where we could hopefully be of some help to this man. You know, we were coming at Christian marriage from, you know, a Lubbock, Texas point of view, but more of a um, uh, contextualized um, you know, Ishiel point of view where, you know, we came to find out they had had an arranged marriage, you know, basically, uh, there wasn't a lot of, um, love. It was very utilitarian and, uh, she had been abused and this and that and the other, but we would have never been able to go that deep had we not had some really good language acquisition and cultural, um, acquisition to, to really understand where this guy was coming from. Uh, what do you see God doing now in Guatemala? Yeah, uh, good. Well, listen, I tell you what, God is doing some amazing things, uh, not only here in Guatemala, but all over Latin America. Um, We are living in the Protestant Reformation uh, here, uh, really started probably 50, 60 years ago. And, you know, even though Guatemala had to go through a horrendous civil war, that did nothing but fuel revival here amongst the churches and the people. So, Latin America is living in what I call a sustained revival. Uh, you can walk down the street here with a stack of tracts or Bible under your arm, and people will literally come up to you and say, hey, can I have one of those? Can, you know, I'll buy one from you. You know, I mean, they are so hungry for the things of God. There's also a, a very strong um, movement among uh, young people that uh, want education and need education. And so um, that is huge. And so we're really taking advantage of a lot of that. Uh, we see in a Celsi that it's not just Bible training anymore, but missionary training. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're preparing Guatemalans now to go out to the world um, through all these contacts we have in, in South America and North America and um, even in Africa and different places. Uh, the Latin American church is poised right now to really become a major factor in what I think is the end time harvest. Well, tell me, you know, you've been a missionary. You said earlier, I I can't remember if we were recording yet or not, but you said you've lived in Guatemala longer than you had have lived in the U.S., right? Yes. And so you feel like you're in some ways more Guatemalan than a uh, American these days. But I know you still interact with with the American church, you know, you still have family here. Uh, you, do you have a word for us that are here in, in church here in the U.S.? Well, um, one of the big things I see 
uh, is that the United States really isn't the same country I left in 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was raised in rural uh, South Texas, Central Texas. Um, it was it was just a different world. I mean, I, maybe I'm an old fogey now or something, you know, I, out of touch or whatever. But I mean, I I think even you would agree with me, and I've talked to a lot of other folks that have lived in the United States all their lives that. From 1990 to 2015, let's say, uh, boy, you know, over that 25 years, there had been some huge changes. Mm-hmm. I mean, and of course, a lot of it was technological, the Internet and all that. And I tell people I've kind of been in a 25 year time warp. Because <laughs> we didn't even get Internet in our house till like 2006. You know, or, you know, we missed out on like huge chunks of, of major cultural transformation that was going on in the United States, right? So uh, it is kind of hard for us to, uh, and and even my children, uh, I had a conversation with one of my children. uh, I have two boys up at Texas A&M, and because they were raised here, you know, they they never really made that connection with uh, North American youth and kind of what um, makes um, a USA teenager tick, you know, these days, of course, I don't know if anybody really understands that yet, not even a scientist. Uh, but I guess where I'm going with this thing is that, um, you know, we feel like there have been such huge cultural uh, changes and shifts in our country that it's really hard uh, to identify or to understand really in depth what's going on. We, we're kind of like outside looking in through a window, and I feel like I can understand more what's going on in la, 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 uh, the Latino church. Mm-hmm. Like when I go uh, to Texas, man, I, I'm looking for some good Tex-Mex, and I'm looking <laughs> for a Latino church to go to, man. They just they got it. Uh, they really touched my heart. I mean, the music, uh, the preaching, hey, the tacos after the service, you know, the enchilada, you know where I'm going with this. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I feel more at home. Now, that could just be because I've lived in that culture for more time, but um, it, it's it's really fascinating. So one thing I would say, I would say to you is is keep your eye on the Latino church. Yeah. Uh, they... they um, there was a, a Time Magazine article, if I'm not, and this was a while back, this was in 2015, but their their point was the fastest growing churches in America are the Latino churches. And, and you can do some Google searches on that. It's really fascinating. Um, the Latino population in the United States is fast growing. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if within the next decade or two we have a Latino president. Uh, you know, of the United States. I think that could really happen. Um, So we need to be in touch with that, Um, you know, even just kind of as a cultural standpoint, but in a spiritual standpoint, uh, the Latinos are really tapping into uh, a lot of things on the move of the Holy Spirit, uh, kind of the latest moves in theology. A lot of are starting to come out of the Latino church. Um, if you want to, uh, have a great time and a real live, uh, fiesta on Sunday, go find their local Latino church. Uh, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be moving and shaking. And, and also they're reaching out to their communities. Um, when I'm down in San Marcos, Texas, man, uh, you know, we've got over a 70% Latino population. 
you'll be at 7-Eleven, and if you can understand some Spanish, a lot of the conversations that are going on around you are about the Lord. They're about God. They're, they're evangelizing uh, their own people. Uh, they're reaching out. You drive through South Texas between um, San Marcos and uh, Corpus Christi on uh, 121 or, or Highway 80, you're going to see little Latino churches and all those little strip malls all the way along, you know, in some of these uh, towns that are now, uh, you know, were booming with the oil thing. I'm talking like Kennedy, Texas, mm -hmm. uh, down there, Nixon, all those areas. Man, the Latino church is alive and well. Yeah, it is. Of course, you know, me being a Texan, I see that. Well, Mike, you know, I always want to ask those that I, that I interview that are serving as missionaries, you know, how can we best support you guys both generally, but also specifically you and your family um, as you continue to do the work you're doing. And, I, and I'm hoping that as people are listening to your story, just a glimpse of it and the work that you're doing, that for those that are uh, compelled by your story and want to get to know you better, you know, I want to give them a way on my website to get in contact with you if we can do that. And I'll get that information from you in just a bit. But what's, what's some of the best ways, though, that we can support you guys? Yeah, well, thanks. Um, Ken, really appreciate this. Um, you know, uh, I've always looked at missions as a two-way street, um, and I believe biblically that's really what the Apostle Paul was trying to set up. You know, he was trying to set up a connection between the churches that he was planting and the and the home church in Jerusalem. You know, he was he was encouraging people to get involved in missions. He was encouraging the churches to get involved in giving uh, back and forth, you know, given to Jerusalem and, of course, Jerusalem and Antioch providing missionaries to the world. And so it's always been a bridge. Now, it's been kind of a precarious bridge over the centuries. You know, uh, there's been a lot of miscommunication and a lot of things. I think in this day and age with uh, what you're doing with, you know, podcasts and all that's a wonderful way to be in touch, to remain in touch. Of course, the Internet, the websites, different things that are going on uh, really more than ever before. We can stay in touch. But what I really feel like is important is that personal uh, context. You know, uh, let me just share with you real quick uh, kind of a, um, a new concept in missions, and it's called the family mission trip. OK, it's it's where a group of families, either through their church or whatever, decide, hey, instead of going to Disney World this year, uh, you know, instead of going to the beach for a week over spring break, we're going to go do a mission trip and we're going to take our kids with us and we're going to work together. And man, I tell you what, we've hosted some of those teams down here and they are just dynamite. They, they're great. I mean, you have mom, dad, you got the kids, sometimes grandparents uh, coming along. You got, you know, some of the teenagers that are bit connected, dis, you know, disconnected. And one thing we do when they hit the ground here in Guatemala is we just say, hey, guess what? You're going to not have Internet for a week. And right. some, of them, some of them fall on the floor and kind of popping like a fish. Uh, others are like, yeah, that's awesome. Um, but, you know, it, it's really uh, an amazing experience. And so I guess my word is, um, hey, get involved in missions, man. You know, you can be at any point in the globe uh, within less than 24 hours. Mm -hmm. This is unprecedented in world history. And you can, um, you know, be in some of these places, uh, man, and, and see some of the things that will just change your life forever. And I know you know that from going to Thailand as many times as you, as you have. Uh, just to experience another culture, experience, you know, when people come here on mission trips, short-term trips, we take them out to the mountains. We take them out to the very edge of East Hill Country. They, uh, 
you know, live like the people do, eat with the people, uh, be transported in the back of a pickup truck <laughs> like the, the local people are. And they really come away with, hey, you know what? The world's a much bigger place than I thought it was. And yeah. so that personal touch, going on that initial mission trip, and let me just say, I've heard stats of upwards of 70%, some people say 80% of all long-term missionaries started out on a short-term trip. And that was wow. my experience. Uh, that was my wife's experience. Before we came to Guatemala, we, I had taken a short-term trip to Mexico. And, and really, that's where I felt God calling me for the first time into this long-term. And then uh, my wife was in Belize, and she really felt like this was a long-term thing. So, hey, take the plunge, make the investment. Uh, you know, you'll, it's probably even cheaper than going to Disney World for a week. Yeah, I think you are right. And uh, it'll change your life forever. Yeah, very good. Did you have any last things you wanted to share before we wrap this up? Well, I would just uh, say, you know what, all of us, uh, all of us in, in the uh, Christian family around the world, you know, I'm talking about North Americans, Central Americans, South Americans, uh, talking about people in the Middle East. Um, man, we are living in some of the most exciting times in church history. Now, there's some of the most dangerous times. I was reading a stat the other day that Christians are now the number one persecuted people group, religious people group on the planet as far as deaths. Um, and we see that in the news every day, and it kind of freaks us out, shocks us, but it needs to bring us to our knees and we need to be really uh, joining arms and joining hands with our Christian brothers and sisters around the world uh, to bring the gospel to all nations. Man, we have the opportunity of a lifetime. And, I, you know, all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. And we're going to have to give an account for what we did uh, on this earth with, with the time we had, with the resources we had, with everything that we were given by God. What did we do to expand his kingdom here on this earth? And, and I think that's something we need to be thinking about. That's something we need to be involved with, uh, whether it's a local ministry right there in central Texas, uh, reaching out to the homeless, reaching out to, like you said, the orphans, uh, different people. I mean, the need is all around us, but we have such an opportunity in these days to, to reach out to the world, and we just need to take advantage of that. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for saying that. Again, thank you for taking the time out of your day, taking this call and doing this uh, interview. I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to uh, everyone getting a chance to meet you and get to hear a little bit about who you are and what you're doing and what God's doing through you guys. So thanks again. Oh, yeah, you bet, Kenneth. I really appreciate you and your ministry, and keep on going. We'll be looking forward to keeping in touch. I'd love to know and hear how that uh, interview impacted you. What kind of thoughts you had, responses to maybe some of the things he shared, maybe something that you resonated with, or if there's something that you're compelled to do from listening. If that's the case, would you, again, go to the website page where you can find the show notes and also the links as we talked about uh, some things that he shared, not only uh, in this interview, but also after we finished recording, he shared some more things that I include in the website uh, some links to opportunities where you can partner with them. But again, go to kennethacamp.com slash episode 24, and that'll take you to that page. And I would love to hear back from you. Just leave a comment. Let me know uh, what you thought about this interview with Mike McComb. So thanks again for joining me here at His Hands, His Feet. Until next time. Man, we are living in some of the most exciting times in church history. Now, 
There's some of the most dangerous times. I was reading a stat the other day that Christians are now the number one persecuted people group, religious people group on the planet as far as deaths. Um, and we see that in the news every day, and it kind of freaks us out, shocks us, but it needs to bring us to our knees. And we need to be really uh, joining arms and joining hands with our Christian brothers and sisters around the world uh, to bring the gospel to all nations. Man, we have the opportunity of a life.